my teachers, my uncles, my brother. Those were dream makers that helped me, helped me to become the man I am today. I'm so glad I never let go of my dream. Otherwise, I won't be here today. Listen to me, guys, you, you guys right here in the front. Give me your best. We all have dreams. You know, just, just bear with me real quick. When I go to an elementary school and I ask this question, this is the question I ask, okay? Listen. Everybody look at me. Batman, look at me. Okay? This is the question I ask. What do you want to be when you grow up? Football player. Every hen in elementary school go up. They want to be football players, basketball players. They want to go, you know, be a superhero. Um, they want to be anything, an astronaut. The girls say, I want to be a ballerina. I want to be a mermaid. Yeah. What happened is when I go to a middle school and I ask the same question, just a few hands go up. And they don't go up here. They go right here. And you know what they do? They look to the side. They look to see who's looking. And it gets worse when I go to a high school and I ask the same question. What do you want to be when you grow up? No hands go up. All hands down here. What happened from the elementary school to a middle school to a high school that we let go of our dreams? My dream, like I said, it was to be a professional bodybuilder. And, I, man, I'll tell you what, I hold on tight. And if there are some teachers here in the house, I know I said I hold on tight. I know I'm supposed to say it that way. It's supposed to be hold on tightly. But the men of faith force, we say hold on tight. It sounds better. All right. So we are held on tight to my dream of being that professional bodybuilder. But it was a selfish dream. Man, I remember when I walked into that, that gym the first time when I was 16 and I saw a picture of Arnold. Right, right here. You can put a, you know, a cup full of water right here on his chest and it will not fall. And I said, I want to be just like him. And I started training and training and training. I would go every time after I train, I go to the mirror and look at myself. And I compare myself with the picture. And I look at myself, the picture, and it was nowhere close until a good friend of mine so-called friend of mine you know friends could be like elevators they're going to take you up and they're going to take you down and it depends who you listen that you're going to succeed in life brothers and i listened to him he told me man you want to be like arnold i know the secret come over here he said you gotta use this stuff and put it through your veins and put some steroids in and then you're going to start getting huge. Really? Let's do it. I started getting that stuff inside of my body. Putting drugs in my body. I started getting massive. And I started competing in bodybuilding. I started competing in professional bodybuilding. And my first trophy was about this big. And then the trophy started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Not knowing that my heart was getting 
Big two is so prideful that I said, I'm going to the United States of America to compete in Mr. Olympia. I'm going to Atlanta, Georgia, where Lee Haney, the top bodybuilder, I'm going to go meet him. I'm going to train with him, and I'm going to get on that stage, and I'm going to win the Mr. Olympia. That's where I live. I left Venezuela behind. Didn't care about nobody. Stumbling blocks. Got to leave him behind. And I landed here June 25th of 1992 in the parking lot of Walmart. Yes, I came here to start a graphic design, went to the school, yeah, I did all that, told my mom, yes, I'm going to graduate. It was a complete lie. I went to Lee Haney, met him, I said, sir, I want to compete in professional bodybuilding. He introduced me to a guy named Rope, Ropeman. His veins were about, taking my finger. I said, son. And I started training, I started meeting the right people, they were going to get me to it. Care less about school. That's all I wanted to do. And I remember I was in the gym. You know, I thought I had a perfect plan. But it was his plan that was about to get involved in my life. So I can be here tonight. And I remember I was sitting after I finished training. I was about 290, 280. And I was sitting in the chair and by the corner of my eye. I saw the most amazing thing this eyes I've ever seen. Long blown hair, blue eyes. It rocked my world. So I was sitting with a friend of mine. I said, dude, take that out. I said, go talk to her. I said, what do you want me to say? I don't know. You're big. You can say whatever. All right. I can do that. So I put myself together and she was sitting writing on a piece of paper, and I came down. And I got on my knees like this. You know what I'm talking about. My traps were about right up to here. And I look at her, and I said, ma'am. She looked at me with those big blue eyes, and she said, can I help you? Can you help me gain weight? That was the dumbest thing a 290-pound man asking to gain weight. How much weight can a man gain? She knew exactly. But check this out. She fell in love with me. Oh, yeah. We started dating, hanging out with each other. You know, we started dating. You know, dating. We started doing our own thing. Started doing our own thing. Living together. I wasn't hurting anybody. That was my life, man. I got the girl. Caesar always got the girl. And I remember we started dating, not doing anything. And in December, uh, it was uh, when the Lion King came out. It was in 1994, July 1994. We were laying together, and she felt something on her chest. And she said, I have something here, strange. And so I took it back to the, uh, we took it to the doctor, and they found a lump on her chest, and it was cancer. No, 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 wait a minute. In Caesar's life? No, no, no. I have to have the perfect girl. What are you talking about? Cancer? What in the world is cancer? I didn't even know what that was. 
I was so full of myself, man, I didn't care about anything. She had cancer. Since 1994, all the way to the year 2000, Mary Beth spent the rest of her life in a hospital bed. What happened to the 280, 90-pound men? You know what I was doing? I'll show you what I was doing. I was sitting in a chair day after day, hour after hour, looking at her laying on that bed. Morphine was going through her body to calm the pain of the surgery. And I was holding a pe- uh, just a cup of ice that the nurse gave me. And she said, your wife, which I got married with her on December 9 of that same year, your wife, her mouth is going to start drying because of the morphine going through her body. So you're going to have to give a piece of ice in her mouth so it will not dry up. I can do that. And so I grabbed the cup and I put a piece of ice. Every time she would jump. And you know, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, man, the nights get long. And you're dozing off. And every time she would jump. And you know what I heard in, the, in, that, in that room? All I heard was like, beep. The 290-pound man didn't know what to do. God was after my heart. And as those pieces of ice were melting in her mouth, you know what was happening to my heart? It was melting too. I was not in the gym. I was sitting in the chair of obedience. Because my father was about to teach me a lesson. Enough is enough. I got to use them. I got to send them. I got to break them. I got to teach them. Can God use some of our loved ones to get our attention? Can he use one of our children? Can he use your wife? Now, if God was after my heart, why was not laying on that bed instead of my wife? That was my question. If you, God, were after me, why I didn't have the cancer? So simple. Because he wanted me to see my wife laying on that bed and showing me that I can do nothing. Because what Caesar wanted to do is just grab my wife. Put it on my shoulder, take all those cables out, and leave the hospital. And you know, if it would have been Caesar's way, she would have died. So I had to sit there. Then she did more surgeries and more surgeries. We never made it to a honeymoon. We couldn't do it because she had tubes going through her chest and she had some little pumps that they would get full of blood, and I would have to pump them out. See, I wasn't pumping. I was pumping a pump, the blood coming out of my wife's body. It was, I was not in the gym pumping iron. The iron needs to stop. It's not about you, Caesar, anymore. You get it? It's not about you. It's not. 
So in 19, uh, 2000, she got a little bit better. And, you know, the doctor says she's a little better. You can take her home. She got the tubes. You're going to have to empty and record how much your drainage those things are recording. And then I said, well, you know, she's a little better. So I'm going to, we never went to a honeymoon. So we say, hey, let's go to Cherokee, me and you, the two of us. And uh, just spend some time together. And so we got in the car and, you know, got all her medicines and stuff like that. And we left the Cherokee. We got the cabin and it's beautiful, man. Beautiful. But then she started getting sick again. So I had to rush her back down to Atlanta. And then more tests on her. And the doctors, this is what they said. Seizure. The cancer is back. This time it's really aggressive. And we don't know if your wife is going to make it. All right. So I, you know, took it the best way I could. You know, big guys can take a punch. And so uh, took her back home. And I said, go ahead. The doctor said, go ahead and take her back home. And and so I lay her down on her bed. And at that time, I have, we have five children. Right now, we have eight. Five girls and three boys. And I remember laying her down. One of my babies, uh, he was just a little baby. And we had a crib. And I can see my wife across the room. And I was putting him to sleep. And that's the time. About three in the morning. Brothers, that I bow my knee for the first time in my life. I don't care if you believe me. That's my story. I know it. I know my story. Nobody can tell my story better than I can. And so do you. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you brought somebody with you to see this dude breaking stuff. I don't know. You do. All I'm doing is telling my story. My story. And as I got on my knees, I said, God, I don't, I don't know how to pray. But I'm going to ask you something, Lord. I said, oh, man, can you heal my wife? Can you take that cancer away? Can you remove that cancer out of her body? Can you be God? Are you real? Can you do something? You know, if you do, uh, I'm going to start thinking that you're real. I didn't hear nothing. I didn't see the figure of an angel coming in the room or the, or, or the, or the curtains open or a lightning bolt in the room. Nothing. All I heard was nothing. The next day, I had to take her back to the hospital and, and um, we walk into the doctor's office and to get the results of all the tests that she did to her and we were sitting and I remember that day when she was sitting at that table and I came as an idiot because that's how it was I get the girl <laughs> go ahead go for it it's about to get you that's what God said my plan is bigger than your plan and I remember holding her hand. And I look at her eyes. 
And I said, whatever comes through that door, I'm going to love you forever. Guys, as soon as I said that, the knob turned, and the doctor walked in. And Mary Beth, medical history, is about three, four phone books taped together at the same time. And this is why I said, Mr. Rocha, Miss Mary, I've been in the medical field for a long time. But what I'm about to tell you, I can't explain it. You can imagine how I was feeling at that moment. There's no cancer. The cancer is gone. I know it is my story. You can clap if you want. I know the reason why I do what I do is because he showed me that he is God and I am not. He heard me. I wasn't saved. He had mercy and grace and love and patience and forgiveness and kindness and all those things that you hear without men talking in this pulpit every Sunday and every Wednesday saying, God loves you. Why do you love me, God? Because I love you. That's it. It's unconditional love, brothers. We do not understand what unconditional love is until we learn it. And you know what? The worst thing that we have to learn is the hard way. God removed the cancer out of my wife. And you ask me why do I do the things I do? I travel all over the nation telling my story. God says, go and tell people your story. Now I get to travel with the biggest guys, my brothers, in Christ, sharing our own stories, how Jesus got my heart. November 24 of the year 2000 at 9 p.m., Mary Beth and Cesar Arroja down in a little island called Tybee Island. A man came to my house, knocked on my door. His name is Dennis Morey from Bible Baptist Church. I called him. I said, Dennis, bring your Bible with you. He used to come to my house when I was big and bad, and he said, hey, man, can I talk to you about God? Whoosh. Shut the door in his, mouth, in his face. I got my own God. Not this time. I called him. And I said, bring your wife, bring your Bible, and teach me and show me about this Jesus. I got to know him. I want to know about him. Who is he? What he did for me. And they came and we sat on our table, November 24, the year 2009 p.m. I asked Jesus to come into my heart. He opened the Bible. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Take the, the, letter, the, the word world out and put your name in it. For God so loved Caesar that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, if you believe in him, Caesar, you will have eternal life. And what is that, Dennis? 
He will be the master of your life. He will come. But Caesar, you know what? He said to me, your wife was dying from something horrible as cancer. But let me tell you something, Caesar. You're dying from something that is worse than cancer. And it's the same in your life. You got to ask God to forgive you. You got to ask God that you're sorry. You got to ask God, Father, I am so sorry for the way I live my life. Would you please forgive me? And you got to believe that what he did on the cross when he came down and died a brutal death and he explained to me that he is God and he left everything. He left heaven for me to die a brutal death on the cross. Wow. Are you serious? That somebody will die for me? Will I die for you, bro? Would you die for me? You probably think about your wife and your, and your children before you do that. Why would I know for, why would I die for somebody that I don't even know? My life is my life. It's not yours, it's mine. Why would I die for you? Why would I die for you? Who are you? You know him? The king of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all things. He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll go. I will die for you. I will die for Caesar and for Mary and for Ariel and Joseph and Misty and Mary Beth and Caesar Jr. What's your name? I will die for Chris. And I know that Chris and Caesar and Mary and Ariel and Joseph, they will turn my back. They will turn their back on me. I know they will, but that's okay. That's okay. I created them. I know them. I know them more than they know themselves because I spoke life into them. He knows exactly who you are. Every time you wake up and your heart keeps beating and every time you breathe, can you tell me how many times you blink? You can't. Can you tell me how many times your heart beats? You can't. Can you tell me that you are going to lift this building right now, get in your car and safely make it safely home? Can you? Can you? He does. He was after my heart. Pastor, how much time do I have? Whatever. Listen to this. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, died for you and died for you and died for you and died for every single man. I do not know if you know him, but he does. I do not know if you're safe, but he does. What is safe? What is this safe thing that I question when I didn't know? Safe means you give your life to him so he can save you from something that is called hell. Two places we will go, whatever you believe it or not. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And that's it. And it's not me saying it. It's the word. His word. B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. It's his manual. It's given to you so you can open it and read it. How many of you have children? Lift your hand. Why? Take your hands down. Why will your children pick a Bible if you don't? Why would your children read the Bible if they never seen you picking one? It is time for us men to behave like men and start leading the way, not them leading us. What happened? Brothers, I'm not from this country. I am now. But this country is the number one country in the world, man. And this is yours. Own your country like a hero. Die for it. I will. I got two boys in the military that give their life for you so you can have the freedom. So you can come eat hamburgers and hot dogs and all those things. And french fries. And you can go to McDonald's. And you can go here. And your children can go to school. My boys lay their lives every day for you. And it was hard for me to let them go. I can't even picture the father looking at his son saying, I have to let you go, son, for every one of them, for every single one of you. Father, I go. I let them put the nails on my hands. I let them put the nails on my feet. I let them put that crown of thorn. I'll do it. I'll do it, Father. I let them beat me and whip my back. Because every time that I feel a whip, I'm thinking about you. Because you're worth it. He said, I make all things new. Brother, he carried that cross. We will never, 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 never understand, unless it's revealed by the Holy Spirit, how hard it was to carry that cross. You had almost 500 pounds on your back today. Can you imagine carrying 400 pounds up the hill, brother? And, 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 and he's all beat up. And while he's carrying, they're beating him up. You know that you will never do that? 
In your lifetime, you will never carry a cross up a hill. And you will never lay down and they're going to put nails about this big through your wrist. They're they're never going to do that. So, gosh, he actually did that for me. He healed my wife. He changed my life. Am I the greatest? No. Am I better than any of you? No. No. You can call my wife. She'll tell you. But I read this morning, I have a little prayer room that I go and I spend time with my father. And I was reading the Bible today. And I said, why do you call David a man after your own heart? You know, Pastor. I'm sorry I'm going to say this, Pastor, but you think God thinks that about you? Are you a man after God's own heart? Are you a man after God's own heart? Are any of you can have a T-shirt? You know how we have T-shirts? that say cool things. Can you have a T-shirt that says, I am a man after God's own heart? I am. Because my father says so. And I believe that my father believes in me, that I'm a man after his own heart. Do you know what it means to be a man after God's own heart? Do you? You don't have to answer. I'm just a man. Are you a man after God's own heart? You don't have to answer me. You know. Do you know a man that doesn't know that? Do you know a man... That you work every day, that you go to his work every day. He goes to you, me. Hey, what's up, brother? Hey, what's up, man? And you are a man after God's own heart, but you know that he's not. What are you doing about it? You know what my mission is? You know why I do this? Because I, I, I don't know too much about fishing, but I know if I do this, I'll get somebody's attention, and they're going to come to me and they say, why do you do that? You want me to tell you? I can tell you why I do this. Because God gave me the strength to do it. God give you? Oh, yeah. Is he the one that makes you strong? Yes. Do you want to know about him? That's an open door. That is our mission. This book, B-I-B-L-E, Basing instruction before leaving earth. Everything is in it. Everything you want to know about it. It is right here. The greatest heroes ever lived. It's a love story. It's your story. It's your story. Yours and yours and yours. 
you want to know about you? Open it and read it. November 24, the year 2000, 9 p.m., he became the Lord of my life. He became the Lord of my wife's life. And all of my children, from my oldest to my little one, eight of them give their life to Christ. Are they the best children? Am I the best husband? My wife is the best. She is. Hands down. She gets up at 4.44 every morning or every single day, and she calls it a tea with God. Man, where are we? What are we doing? What are we doing? I'm going to challenge you really quick. Okay, watch. Where are they? There's two of you sitting right here. Where are the rest? Where are they? You're not your job? Where are they? You, can, you guys can scoot up closer and you can fit other people right here. Where are they? Oh, my goodness. There's so many people back there. Where are they? Where, where, where are they? Did you know about this? You guys knew about this. So where are they? Why don't you ask your master, say, Father, you want me to bring somebody? Show me who. Where do I need to go fishing? Where do I need to throw my net? Where are they? You know where they at? Tell it to you. Drowning. That's where they at. They're all drowning. And what are we doing? Got my Bible in my arm. I got to make sure I pick a big, thick Bible so they can see me. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. How about them? How about them? Where are they? The reason why you're sitting right here is because somebody told you about Jesus. The reason why I'm standing right here is because Dennis Morris from Bible Baptist Church told me about Jesus. Thank you, Dennis. The reason why you're a pastor is because somebody told you about Jesus, pastor. What are we doing? Like I said, I don't know any of you. None of you. I don't know any of you. But your father knows. Where's the music, people? Where are the, the guys are going to play the music back here? Go for it, brother. I'm not leading this thing. He is. I don't know why you came tonight. But I hope you didn't come to just to see me. I'm just a man just like any of you. 
I poop my pants just like you do. Next month, I'll be in Edenton, Georgia, not North Carolina. And I'll be in a lot of schools. And I'm going to be talking to students and sharing the gospel. And then I'm going to, I'm coming here again. And then I'm going to Indiana. And then I'm going to Tennessee. I'm not saying you have to go and do what I do. You have a mission right in your front door, right up here in your nose. I close with this story. I was in Dairy Queen one day. And I was suit up as Captain America. I do that sometimes. And I went to a party for this kid. He was my pastor's son. And uh, I got him a Captain America shield, you know, backpack. He loved it. We sing happy birthday. He took pictures with me. He signed autographs. It was awesome. And so I was with my suit. I was the Captain America suit. And so I was sweating. It was outside. It was hot. Savannah, brothers. It's hot. And so I, I, the pastor said, why don't we go uh, to uh, inside so you can get a drink, so you can cool off a little bit. I said, well, let's go. I sat down with him. We were talking. And by the corner of my eyes, I saw this girl. She had the thing, the ear thing. I can tell that she was the one who take the order through the drive-thru. And she's looking at me, and she's like, and so it got my attention. So I look at her. The pastor's talking. I said, hold on, pastor. I said, you need something? And she looked at me and she said, yeah, can I ask you a question? Sure. She was like 17. And she said, uh, why do you do what you do? I said, what are you talking about? I said, why, why do you do that? Like you, you know, dress up like that. I said, well, I, I love superheroes. I said, you do? I said, yeah. I said, you want to come here, sit down for a minute? I know you're working. You want to sit? And she came. Yeah. She, I mean, she sat right in front of me. My pastor's like looking at me like this. And I don't know where this is going. And she said, uh, you like superheroes? I said, I love superheroes. As a matter of fact, I'm one. Would you like to be one? And she said, yeah, I want to be a superhero. I said, hold on a minute. <laughs> you know what I said? I said, if you want to be a hero, you got to know the real hero first. Then you can be the hero that he created you to be. And she said, I want to know him. I want to know him. And I said, let me tell you about him. That girl gave her her life to Christ right there. That's what we're called to do, brothers. I don't know. Are you a hero? Are you? Are you a hero? Would you like to be a hero? Would you like to be a hero? That's the question. Same question I ask her. Would you like to be a hero? You got to know the one. The greatest hero of all time. Jesus Christ. The son of the living God. He gave his life. Heroes will always be second. They will put their life first. 
so we can have life. Do you know him? Men, do you know him? I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads.